Welcome to Words Matter with Katie Barlow and Joe Lockhart. Welcome to Words Matter. I'm Katie Barlow. Our goal is to promote objective reality. As a wise man once said, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, not their own facts. Words have power and words have consequences. Welcome to a special edition of Words Matter, the great impeachment debate. This week, our own Joe Lockhart had an op-ed column published in the New York Times under the headline, There's a Prize Bigger Than Impeachment. Also joining us this week is Philippe Brynas. Since 2002, Philippe has been a spokesman and senior advisor to Senator, Secretary of State, and 2016 Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton. And next month, along with former CIA officer Emily Brandwin and author Molly Jong-Fast, Philippe will be launching the Unredacted podcast on Deep State Radio, something we can't wait to listen to. Philippe Rhinus, welcome to Words Matter. Thank you, Katie. A few weeks ago, Philippe had an op-ed column published by The Times. The headline for his was, Why Impeaching Trump is Worth It. Philippe's argument was the exact opposite of Joe's, so they decided to address the issue face-to-face here on Words Matter. We originally planned this as a duel, but we couldn't decide who would be Alexander (laughs) Hamilton and who would be Aaron Burr, so we opted for a debate. Now, here are the ground rules. Brief opening statements, followed by alternating questions where each participant will have the opportunity for a brief follow-up comment, emphasis on brief, We will conclude with closing remarks, which may or may not be on the topic at hand. We held a coin toss before the show to determine who would be first to go, and the winner was Philippe. So, Philippe, we'll begin with you. I will receive the kick. So, first of all, thank you, Joe. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Adam, for having me. This is a real honor to be on stage with Joe. Joe, as everyone knows, is one of the leading spinmeisters in America. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I feel like I'm nominated along with Daniel Day-Lewis. So it's really just an honor to be here. I also want to apologize in advance because the last time I debated anybody was Hillary Clinton three years ago when I played Donald Trump about a dozen times. And while that was very hard, the easiest thing was was ignoring the rules. So if I don't abide by time and cut off – Don't I'm, worry. I'll do it for you. It's PTSD. Yeah, just no, no, no lurking. No lurking, lurking. no lurking. I will try not to repeat myself and be angry. So I thought it would be helpful to stipulate two things that I think we very much agree about. One is that President Clinton kicked Newt Gingrich on the Republicans' ass in 1998. And two is that by any reasonable definition, Donald Trump has committed impeachable offenses. So we're not debating about whether to or not to because of the merits. I think where we different is how we see the reality of the situation. I wrote my op-ed to challenge something very fundamental, which we've all seen on the internet, on television, something that is just taken for granted. And it's the sentence that the impeachment of Bill Clinton backfired on the Republicans and that they suffered for it. And if we impeach Donald Trump, we will suffer for it. We will maybe put him back we will reelect him. We will lose more seats in the Senate. We could lose the House. The usual things that Democratic catastrophizers do. But it's it's a valid argument. My op-ed was meant not necessarily to convince anyone that was wrong. It was to convince them to stop taking it as a certainty. I think the easiest way to put it is this. If I were Joe in 1998, 1999, 2000, I would be incredibly proud of myself my team, my White House, and my president. They executed a perfect plan, and it required a lot of discipline and probably convincing Bill Clinton of a lot of discipline. There is no question that by that point, Republicans faced a serious backlash, kicked his ass, literally kicked Newt Gingrich out of office as speaker. You can't find any reasonable metric to say that it didn't hurt them. At that point, looking back 20 years later, From 2000 on, basically Election Day 2000 on, I think it is much, much harder to make that case. First and foremost, George Bush went on to win in 2000. He went on to win re-election while the Republicans lost some seats in 1998 in the House. They did not lose any seats in the Senate. More importantly, they maintained control of the entire Congress pretty much through 2006 with the exception of a period 
in 2002, 2003, when Jim Jeffords was skipping back and forth. So while it's natural because we only have two impeachments, Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton, to compare, let's acknowledge that this is completely different. We are talking about a blowjob versus treason. And sorry to be – this is for immature audiences only, but that's what it came down to. And I believe this is an important conversation to have. So the reason I think we should move forward when well, we can talk more about this is the more we have talked about what Trump has done in the last two years, the more public opinion has changed. The needle has moved as we've learned things. We just learned so much more. And the bottom line is this is – to me, this is not something Trump did in the car ride home on January twentieth, 2017 from being sworn in. This is something he's been doing day in, day out. It is an open wound. There is a real cost to allowing this to going on. And I think you know Joe me long enough and Adam that I've been called a lot of names. Naive is not one of them. But here I do feel that there is a sense of right and wrong and there is a time where that is paramount. All right, Joe. Well, I mean, Philippe, sorry, but your middle name for all of us has been naive since I've <laughs> met you. I'm going to also start with what we agree on. I think President Trump has committed high crimes and misdemeanors. I think he's a clear and present danger to the United States. And I think it is in the national interest to limit his presidency. If there was a way to remove him, I would be for that. And I think the one thing Philippe and I would agree on and I have to go to my favorite philosopher, the deputy ops in Wire, deputy ops Rawls, when he turned <laughs> to McNulty and said, McNutty, you are also a gaping asshole. And I think that applies. You're not talking to, to me. No, I'm, a, I'm talking about <laughs> okay. the president of the United States. Is that I have been called? Yes, because and now I get my immature uh, audience. <laughs> but let me talk about why uh, I think we shouldn't impeach. First off, it's a futile effort. The Senate will not I, – I just believe this 100 percent firmly – the Senate will never vote to convict the president. You can't even get – after the Mueller report, 448 pages of damning evidence, I think one senator put a statement out and it was a statement of criticism without any action. And Susan Collins of Maine called it an unflattering profile. That tells you where the Republicans in the Senate are. Couple that with the public not really being engaged and I think not understanding the entire process. My biggest fear is the Democrats push through impeachment, the president is acquitted in the Senate, and a large part of the population says the president is innocent. The president is not innocent. If there was a way to remove him now, I would be for it. There is no way to remove him now. And the third thing I'd say is – Democrats won in 2018 because they talked about issues like health care, infrastructure, taxes. The media in Washington can't walk and chew gum. They just can't. If we are in the middle of impeachment, none of those issues will get debated. And the 40 new Democrats that just came to Congress will be at further risk of losing their seats. That doesn't mean we shouldn't do anything. We should hold them accountable. Remember in Watergate, the Senate Watergate Select Committee that raised the profile of all these issues before impeachment started. So I think we should have a series of high-profile hearings on the Hill where all the people come up, Don McGahn, Bob Mueller, Bill Barr, the, you know, Jared Kushner, Donald Trump Jr., and we lay out piece by piece methodically. We do move public opinion. We won't move it in the Senate, but we can move public opinion. Uh, and we hold them accountable. Here's where I think Democrats get in trouble, and I'll, I'll see how my worthy opponent reacts to this. We all want to hold the president accountable. I think most Democrats also want to punish him. Punishing, holding him accountable is, is, is the right policy. Punishing him is an emotion. And Democrats too often get ruled rule by emotion and you know doing the quote-unquote right thing. The right thing to do is to beat him at the ballot box. We shouldn't take any risk that we unite Republicans. We tell people he's acquitted. That's why um, we, we have to wait till uh, Election Day 2020. 
So in round one, points to Joe for brevity after the stop sign. For those of you listening, our producer is in the room and giving uh, our guests uh, minute warnings and 30-second warnings because apparently our guests might have a tendency to keep chatting. All right, so Philippe, I, I, you— I, I will interject that this is a home and away. We're going to debate on Philippe's podcast sometime soon. And in this one, we control the editing. So we talk all <laughs> yeah, you want. And I Doesn't mean, mean and anyone's I mean, going to hear it, it. it. It's three to one in here. <laughs> yeah, I right. had to ask for water. Oh, yeah. right. That's true. We were depriving It's like water. 90 degrees in oh, here. Oh, that, that's not water. <laughs> <laughs> so first up, Philippe, you get the, the first question. And, and I'm going to build off of a couple of things Joe said and, and lay a bit more groundwork. So one of the arguments against going down the impeachment road is at the end of that road is the United States Senate. And currently there are 53 Republicans, 45 Democrats and two independents. And they would sit in judgment as the jury if the House approves articles of impeachment against President Trump in a trial held in the Senate chamber presided over by the chief justice of the United States. Now, remember, impeachment by the House is the equivalent of an indictment here. And that's what every prosecutor would say is the easy part once they decided they had enough evidence to uh, go before a grand jury. And convincing a jury is the harder part. And under our Constitution, there's a two-thirds majority requirement. Sixty-seven are needed to convict and remove President Trump from office. So, Philippe, in your Times column, you say, quote, the political case is so strong and the evidence against Mr. Trump is so persuasive that, however unlikely, it is not impossible that 20 Republican senators joined the Democrats. But last month, when President Trump resumed his attacks on the late Senator John McCain, there weren't three Republicans who publicly challenged the president on those attacks. And that wasn't even a vote. It was just an act of issuing a public statement in support of a war hero who died of cancer less than a year ago. So how is it possible that 20 Republican senators would vote to convict and remove President Trump from office? Well, it's definitely an an ideal scenario. (laughs) I'm not going to pretend otherwise. I, I don't think wait, I'm. Wait, are you smoking something? I, over I there? don't. Yeah. I don't think. In fact, I I know yeah. I'm not arguing that we should do because we've got a really good chance or really any chance. I obviously I think the House passing articles of impeachment and doing their thing is somewhere ninety percent plus. The Senate doing their thing is somewhere point zero nine percent less. But I I guess where I really differ is so what and. You know, a couple of things that Joe said. There is a way to remove someone from office, and it, it is an impeachment. And again, not to be pie in the sky, but this is what it's for. But more specifically, I think there's what would be accomplished along the way and a debate about the backlash. What would be accomplished along the way, because Joe hit something right on the head. People don't understand what this is, they think impeachment is. Removal. It gets one big blob. And by the way, there's no reason why I don't understand this. We've only done it twice. I don't think any of us were alive for Andrew Johnson. And well, Joe was raised his hand. Joe was, but he was a he was an infant. He was an infant. So there there is education that's needed, but that's part of what a trial is for. A trial would be just one big education session. And I am bothered by the fact that Congress is following public opinion as opposed to Congress leading public education. If you look at the Nixon numbers, they're very interesting. Uh, I think we were all alive for Nixon, maybe not Katie. Katie was not. The rest of us were – I don't remember for shit. Um, I mean it was like whatever, five, but four. And I think in hindsight, we all think it was a slam dunk case. But the truth of the matter is I went back and I looked at an article about the numbers. For the bulk of the time, including right up until he left, most of the country either didn't appreciate or agree that he had committed a crime. Even fewer people agreed that he was aware of it or that an even fewer people, very small group, think that he orchestrated it. And hand in hand with that, fewer people thought he should be impeached. It wasn't until there was something momentous like the Supreme Court decision ordering him to cough over the tapes. Just imagine a trial in the House where Kathy Griffin did a dramatic reading of 448 pages. You're going to move the needle. We've been in a situation where for two years, Bob Mueller didn't say a peep. I haven't heard his voice in years. Donald Trump attacked him every time and did a great job with Rudy, with Dershowitz. But at the few moments along the way where he made indictments, particularly 
the two dozen indictments against the Russians, it really moved the needle. The needle has moved since last week where his approval has gone down. So I think that would happen. And when I next have time, I will talk about the backlash not being as catastrophic as possible. I agree with Philippe that the public doesn't understand. The fact of the matter is the trial would be in the Senate. And the idea that somehow this would be a public education in the Senate is folly. What Mitch McConnell will do is he will make it a kangaroo court. There won't be witnesses. Uh, the only people testifying will be members of Congress and you know lawyers. The fix will be in from the beginning. And the public will do what they often do with Mitch McConnell. They'll throw up their hands and say, I can't believe he's done that. And they'll let him get away with it. It's Merrick Garland all over again. Democrats will pull their hair out and Mitch McConnell will laugh his ass off all the way back to his Senate office. That's just not going to happen. All of the things, though, that I think Philippe wants to happen can happen outside the context of impeachment. The problem with impeachment is once you say we've opened an impeachment process, you have to finish it. Otherwise, the president will rightly stand up and say they couldn't even impeach me. And I think Nancy Pelosi has laid this out fairly well, is we go through this fact-finding education where we basically take the Mueller report and bring it to life. And one other point, it's not just the Mueller report. Let's not forget what SDNY is doing, the financial situation. Ah, uh, this we, argument drives me crazy. Yeah, we, we, we can bring all of this to life about the corrupt nature uh, of the president. And you know what? If Philippe's right... Six months from now, if the evidence is so damning and the Republican Party starts going south on them, there's no reason we can't impeach then. But right now, every Republican senator is operating under the same principle that if I defy Trump, I will lose my seat. I can't even get past a primary without Trump voters, so I will never defy him publicly on anything, much less removing him from office. Can I respond to a couple of those? I will be brief. Well, I'll try yes. to be brief. So first off, I think it's splitting hairs whether you call something a hearing or if you had made the argument that we should drop the whole matter, I would understand that more than investigate in a different way because you're arguing that we can't get to kitchen table issues while this noise is going on. The problem with that is Bill Clinton never talked about impeachment and when he was not convicted, he just let the scoreboard talk to itself. We have Donald Trump who just can't let it go, just can't. It makes him feel legitimate. Forget all that. So it's going to be noise. And to me, you're trying to talk kitchen tables while Donald Trump is shitting where you eat. And it is naive to think you can bifurcate that. And the second point I want to make is about punishing. Yes, it's an emotional issue, but there's also a reason for it. Lincoln made sure to punish the states that seceded from the union for the simple reason that he wanted to prevent it from happening again. He turned down multiple conditional offices of surrenders. They made it very tough for to come back. We did the same thing in World War II. I don't think it was emotional. It was because Trump is not a blip. Someone is going to come back. There's going to be some loon, whether it's Mike Pompeo or you know Sean Hannity. They need to be shitting their pants that they can't color outside the lines. This man has never faced consequences. Why after this would he ever shape up? And I'm particularly worried about the people around him. The people around him have been very nervous for two years. They weren't sure what they knew, what they didn't know. They've had to spend money on lawyers. These people as a group are now emboldened to a point where we ain't seen nothing yet. On the Senate front, there are 34 seats up, 22 of them are Republicans. I don't think we're winning the Senate back. Maybe we are, even though the numbers are good. But you're telling me someone like Cory Gardner or Susan Collins isn't going to have a problem defending a, a vote to acquit? I, I think they will. So they worry will. not. We're no, going no, to get there. Well, they're going to have a problem, I win. but they're going to do it anyway. <laughs> this has been great talking to you. Great. <laughs> now a word from our sponsor. <laughs> right. All right. So we need to return to SDNY, though. Yeah. yeah. We will. Yeah. So the we next... won't. I know you're just telling me that. But... <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling we're going to cover every topic you both want to cover. Worry not. All right, Joe, you're up. So you say in your piece, quote, Mr. Trump is three years into destroying what we know as the Republican Party. Another two years might just finish it off. 
Now, in two years, President Trump successfully nominated more than 100 federal judges, including two Supreme Court justices and 37 appeals court judges. He has withdrawn the U.S. from the Trans-Pacific Partnership and the Paris Climate Agreement. He passed a major tax cut, rolled back Obama-era policies and regulations on the environment, the financial services industry, immigration, health care, food and worker safety, LGBTQ rights. Given that there are only so many hours in a day, wouldn't Democrats rather have Donald Trump's attention preoccupied with defending himself against impeachment rather than focused on Obama-era policy and regulations to target next? Well, it's a little bit of a false choice, and I'll agree with Philippe here because he is obsessed with defending himself. It doesn't matter what Democrats do. Again, but he is Donald Trump. That he is Donald Trump. I, yeah. Too many dangling modifiers. Yes. Here. I have a comeback for that, but I'm going to save it for later. <laughs> I'm going to split an infinitive <laughs> right on you. And there you go. Just look at 2018 for a second. While everybody in D.C. and in the cable ecosystem was all caught up in Russia and no one was running ads out there, they won on these kitchen table issues. And the fact of the matter is you can do both. And I think the Democrats in the House have the ability to segment whatever these investigative hearings with bringing bills to the floor, putting pressure on McConnell to try to get him to do something. He won't. This is an exercise in political theater. But I I do think that once you get to opening articles of impeachment and hearings there, you're in a one-subject area. So I think it hurts Trump when he's so focused on defending himself. But the other side of the coin is it, it really helps Democrats when there's people in Washington talking about issues that they care about. So I think we've got to be able to do both. I think it's harder, not impossible. This is not the decider, but I think it's harder if you go with the formal impeachment hearings. My point on the Republican Party, though, is all the things you said are right. But I do believe that when Trump came in, there was the Trump Party and there was the Republican Party. That fight is over. The Republican Party now, Trumpism is Republicanism. And this is a president with a booming economy, with a lot of things going for him, who can't get above 38%. This is a president who's not had one day in his presidency above 50% job approval. This is a president who potentially can drag down, and I think will drag down, Republicans in the Senate and in the House. We had an overwhelming victory in the House in 2018. Trump was a a part of that, given what he was doing on immigration at the time and all of that. The Times wrote the headline for my op-ed, But I think they got it right. I think there is a bigger prize here. And we shouldn't only focus on the negatives. There is an opportunity here. I think there's an opportunity for the Democrats to regain a working majority since Reagan. Even when we had a majority, we were defensive. And I think there is an opportunity. And it may be as pie in the sky as, you know, Philippe's assertion that we could get Republicans in the Senate. But it is a possibility that all of a sudden we could have progressive government again. All right. I'm deducting points from the Lockhart House now for the going past the stop. But Philippe, your rebuttal. But you're not going to edit me, right? (laughs) No. Well, again, I come back to the notion that we have some kind of control to separate the signal and the noise. And again, I understand Joe's perspective from his experience because they were disciplined. They kept talking about impeachment off the podium. I don't think Bill Clinton ever talked about it once. And then they moved on with their lives. Bill Clinton, Joe can rattle off a number of initiatives that he focused on over that period. But you know what? There are two people in this calculation. The other is Donald Trump, and he won't shut up about it. But beyond that, again, I think you're arguing to drop the whole matter and to drop oversight. So let's look at at Tuesday of this week, for example. The thing that was dominant on Tuesday was that the, the Treasury Department refused to turn over Donald Trump's taxes. For the second time. And I think that's relevant for two reasons. One, it's an indication of how they're going to play ball on oversight. So we shouldn't pretend that oversight is going to get anywhere. They have turned down every request since the new Congress, whether it's this guy Klein to talk about security clearances. I saw a couple of things yesterday on Tuesday about, you know, Bernie Sanders wanting people to vote from prison and some debate about that. But hearings are going to dominate just as much. So I'm not really sure I understand why we're making the distinction. I can make the argument that at least impeachment hearings would focus it and be easier to follow and seem less haphazard. On 
the the Trump part, I agree, and I have long agreed. the The Republican Party is a dead party walking. I don't know how much they rationalize or delude themselves. They're done. But I don't know that Trump is done or Trumpism. In fact, I do know it's not done. And this is not as simple as right now. You can go back to 2008, the financial crisis. Sarah Palin, obviously, it manifests itself in 2010 with the Tea Party. And frankly, we never use the term Tea Party anymore, but that's still what's going on now. I hope to God this period in our history comes to an end in 2020. I don't think it will. And I think that argument, too, argues for inflicting punishment. If I had a crystal ball and I knew we couldn't convict, but we could or would beat him in November 2020, I probably wouldn't be so worked up about this. I still think that impeachment is not simply an option for the Congress. It's a responsibility based on his behavior. And I wouldn't want to risk it and he'd be gone. But this is such an open wound that if this goes on for six more years, boy, are we fuckety fucked. All right. So I'm actually going to ask you to expound on that a little bit in your next question, Philippe. So in your piece, you argue that while impeachment may have hurt Republicans in the short term, they lost seats in the 1998 midterm elections and the effort to convict President Clinton failed. In the long term, not only were there no lasting consequences, but they kept control of both houses of Congress and the presidency in the next election. They extended their congressional majorities for nearly a decade following and have won three of the five presidential election sense. Hey, so, you're making this sound like it's too much sense. Stop reading these <laughs> words. Ask him a question. That is a damn good. Who wrote that Yes, again? who wrote that? Who wrote that? You know? Uh, that all is right. some insight. So what do you say to those who contend that the Republican Party of today is this logical, ideological extension of the more extreme elements of Gingrichism, basically, which pushed out moderates and centrists, took the party on a sharp right turn, and has left the GOP on the brink of a demographic and electoral oblivion? Well, I keep reading this that the, the the Republican Party is demographically doomed, yet somehow they keep pulling out these elections. I mean, the last Republican to win office with the popular vote is H.W. Bush. Gore, you know, Bush got in, the son got in 500,000 fewer votes. And then Trump got in, you know, four, three million fewer votes. So I guess this notion of we're on some kind of natural trajectory that if we just sit and cruise, that they'll implode and take care of itself. I, I'm i not passive. I, I, I don't want to agree with that because to me, there's an issue here where every guardrail, and I think we're seeing this, is failing. And it's failing because when you're driving down the highway and you're nodding off at two in the morning – the guardrail is meant to knock you back in your lane and wake you up when you're swerving. It is not meant for a fucking lunatic to be in an 18-wheeler to just absolutely <laughs> ram it and drive off the road. And it's not just the Democrats that are stuck in the cargo part of that trailer. The Republicans in there too. I'm not defending them. But they have no control over what's going on. And Joe is 100 percent right. No one's going to try to challenge him. But that's almost a better argument to try because we can be politically savvy with a plan and these guys are subject to a pinball that's bouncing around against the bumpers and tilting the machine and making all sorts of noise, but really not in in control. And the other thing I think we need to be sober about is about the noise issue is, you know, we don't control the Senate and talk about Republicans, you've got Lindsey fucking Graham, who is running around saying he wants to investigate the investigators. So the noise might be there either way. I'm going to use my last bit of time from Adam Sines to, and boy, is he, <laughs> he's hard ass about this. The, just on the Adam educational is our front. producer, by the way, I'm, for those folks listening. I, and, and I've known Adam forever. We all know Adam forever. And he's been a great timekeeper for, I mean, you have dinner with him and he's holding up signs yeah. about, you know, when dessert like is. Like Mueller flicking the lights on and off. It's <laughs> yeah. Adam with his signs. 30 seconds to salad is done. So, <laughs> just on the educational front, SDNY is the Southern District of New York. It's the U.S. Attorney's Office. And there's whatever rattling around there, whatever's been – it's mostly Michael Cohn. But in an ideal world, there's some nasty stuff there that catches up with Trump. It's important to note that it's part of the, the Department of Justice and the same kind of 
Bill Barr stomping on it could happen again. There's also the same problem of not indicting a sitting president. So while justice may catch up with this guy when he's 85, I don't think that that's very comforting to anyone. But the bottom line of the Republican Party is, yes, they're imploding. Yes, they're dead. I don't think they know what the remnants of it will be. But I want to help that along. I, I want to throw lighter fluid on that fire because this is like a Jason movie. I mean, don't make a mistake and you know not to shoot the guy four times. Make it a scream movie where Nev, Nev Campbell is like, I've seen this shit before. I'm putting bullets in the guy's head. And the STNY thing, you know, to also go back to the movie thing, there's a great scene in Zero Dark Thirty when they're all, you know, in there and the CIA from, guy from Washington comes in and says, if you guys think there's Wait, another – Hold on a second. Am I debating Roger Ebert if here? You, if, you, if you think there's someone else on another floor doing this, you're wrong. It's fucking you and we're failing. It's us. It's not SDNY. It is not the attorney general of New York. It is us. And we are failing. Joe, That's a quote of the movie. Now. <laughs> Was there a question in there someplace? You get a rebuttal good, good. to uh... remind me what the issue is, but don't read from that op-ed anymore. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Sometimes in a political argument, you're on opposite ends. Philippe and I are very close here, but sometimes in a 51-49 thing, you've got to decide: do you turn left or you turn right? They might both get there. I, I just think it's an absolutely false choice that we can't hold them accountable without formally going on impeachment hearings. Because I think that – It's not going well so far. Well, the Mueller report came out a week ago. No, I'm talking about the other stuff, the Cummings and Maxine Waters. Yeah, and- but there's 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 no legal guarantee that even if we go to articles of impeachment that somehow they're not going to fight that also. So it's all going to end up in but court. But it's more powerful if Don Jr. refuses to show up than Mnuchin sending these memos it's, as to why he's not releasing the no, taxes it's, or it's, someone named – it's, But there's no reason in the world why the Judiciary Committee cannot subpoena Don Jr., cannot subpoena Don McGahn, cannot subpoena Ivanka or Jared Kushner. And I don't think the public we're, – we're way in the weeds here. I don't think the public is all that caught up into what kind of committee it is. I would agree with you that it's less organized and maybe what Nancy Pelosi needs to do is to do what Howard Baker did in 74, which do a select committee mm-hmm. and professionalize it a little bit more. But I, we agree that um, they should be held accountable and we should take the Mueller report. I think there's a lot in SDNY, but I'll concede the point that let's keep it on the Mueller report. And, and what we're trying to do here is just bring it to life because let's be honest. 99.9% of the people in this country won't even look at it. And on the 1%, I'd say one-tenth of 1,000 friends read it cover to cover. And you can bring it to it's, you know, it's, it's like taking a book and making a movie out of it. And oh, look, I made a movie reference. Well, so hold, on, like, oh. hold on, but the movies get a hell of a lot more watched. Yeah. No. I never read this. I don't even know who wrote J. George Martin. I watch Game of Thrones, but no. I don't read the no, book. No. But that's exactly my point, that these these hearings do bring it to life, and they and we will do that. We don't have to say we're going to impeach. Now, I agree with you on, on, on one other thing, and, and I'll stop in a second, Adam. Don't worry. I think the Republican Party has the ability to recover if we fail on impeachment. I think if we go forward the way I'm suggesting – the Republican Party becomes the shell of what it used to be. It's Trumpism. You're exactly right. Trumpism isn't going away. Traditional Republicanism is dead or nearly dead. And Trumpism, I believe, this is why I talk in my piece about a realignment of American politics. Trumpism is a minority party permanently. You are never going to get more than 35 to 40 percent of Americans who subscribe to Trumpism. That's a big block of voters. But it ain't 49%, which you know Republicans used to depend on. Or that is a big deal. And I think as Democrats, that's what we should be trying to encourage. And I think our disagreement is we have the same exact goal, which is to turn that party into a minority party. What's the best way to do it? I just happen to think if we go through impeachment, we raise the risk of it backfiring on us. But we have to hold them accountable. I'm not arguing at all that we should walk away from this. Uh, we can't walk away from it. I think our goal actually is just to get rid of the fucker as soon as possible because he's doing so much damage. And the and the first available option to do that, which, again, I think it's responsibility, 
is impeachment. Again, I, to go back to the backlash argument, I'm just thinking this out loud. It wasn't in my piece. Um, maybe I'll write a sequel or I'll make it into a movie. Take the Benghazi hearings, for example. The Benghazi hearings were designed to beat up Hillary Clinton. Now, on the one hand, they had whatever nine committees and failed. She kicked their ass. On the other hand, boy, did it help them. Shellac, uh, yeah, it stuck. So why are we saying if we do the same thing, it wouldn't do damage in a different way to Donald Trump? Maybe it would soften – maybe it's the Omaha landing no, because of 2020. And, and, you've, 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 and think about it for a second. Think about crazy Jim Jordan. I mean – these hearings are jokes because of the Republicans. And impeachment hearings so will <laughs> impeachment hearings will be exactly the same. That doesn't change. But you make my point on Benghazi, which is they were trying to embarrass her, they were trying to weaken her, they were trying to bleed her. They weren't trying to remove her. They weren't trying to take her job away from her. And I totally agree with you that the the ultimate goal is how do we get him out of office the fastest way possible? And I think if we go through the articles of impeachment, we will fail in the Senate. There will be a whole lot of people who say, oh, I guess he's innocent. And that makes it harder to defeat him at the at the polls in 2020. Our first legitimate chance to remove Donald Trump from the presidency is in 2020. It is not in 2019. Go back to the Benghazi, yeah. Chris, because now I'm thinking out loud again. The Benghazi situation is incredibly comparable in that – you know, there were nine committees looking at it. The first eight were standing committees. They were the Intel committees, the Foreign Affairs committees. It wasn't until the House Select Benghazi Committee that it really focused and really went ongoing for a long time with a lot of witnesses, including her. So I, I do think when you say it wouldn't be the worst thing to have a select committee, I think it'd be a, you know, what's the Howard Baker model is a big one. Yes, I agree with you. And so, then I think we're talking about semantics. We're not only are we talking about some. You're we're playing not, word games. All right, all right, all right. Back to regular order. We are playing politics. This is why. Because this, it is is why this is why Joe is the Daniel Day Lewis and Meryl Streep. Uh, is this method podcasting? If they is had, that a, what if we're they doing? had a child, method it would be Joe. Method it's, politicsing. All right. You'd have nine Oscars. So hey, can, can you think not out loud back, for a minute? Back to, <laughs> to both of you. Back to Wait, regular I've been, order. I've been saying that out loud. <laughs> Uh, all right. So, Joe, you are technically up with the next question, which will, I'm sure, stir up a few additional talking out loud points. You point out, Joe, that President Clinton reached the highest approval rating of his presidency, 73 percent the month he was impeached by the Republican House. This week, Politico reported that Donald Trump's approval rating was 39 percent, tied for the lowest mark in his two years in office. How is it possible that the political calculus and physics are the same or can even be applied to impeaching a second-term president who enjoyed the support of nearly three-quarters of the American people, as opposed to that of a first-termer who's had trouble cracking the 40% mark from the start of his presidency. You really can't. And I'm not trying to say that 1998 is the precursor for uh, 2020 for the very reason that Bill Clinton was not on the ballot. He was done. Richard Nixon was not on the ballot. He was done. Now, I will say this, that if the Constitution was changed, Bill Clinton would have been reelected in 2000. I believe that. I, don't, I can't prove it, but I, 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 I believe that. And we can talk a lot if we want about why Al Gore lost, but that's boring. Um, well, no, I, I think that well, is. Well, let me we'll, let you finish, we'll go, but we'll go, I do we'll, think there we'll, are aspects. Yeah, that. But, but they are not comparable. What is comparable, though, is what happens when the opposite party tries to remove you and there's an instinct to rally around. And what my fear is, and, and I keep I'm repeating myself, so it's not it's, this is not a deep thought. Uh, I don't even need that one minute, uh, Adam. When this gets to the Senate, the president will be acquitted, and my worst fear is that will give enough people who've been holding their nose on Donald Trump enough cover to say, you know what, the Senate took a look at this, and he, you know the guy's an asshole, but I'm going to vote for him, and I don't really like. Bernie, Elizabeth, Beto, Buttigieg, whoever we nominate. So I'm going to vote for Trump. This is a winner-take-all game, and it's a political game, and it's about who wins in 2020. And we agree, we agree on that, I know. And it's just a question of how you get there. I mean, the biggest example of someone getting away with murder is literally someone who got away with murder, OJ. I mean, OJ was acquitted. I don't think if he had run for president a couple of months later, he would have gotten anywhere. There is there is a way of of battering someone to a, a point, but I think it's important to talk about for a second Gore, 
because the biggest – if we were going to debate what Gore did or didn't do right, one of the first things would be using Bill Clinton. And impeachment did get in his head. Bill Clinton was incredibly popular, yet his vice president had to decide what to do about it. It was used as a cudgel, even if it was just psychological. He picked Joe Lieberman because Joe Lieberman was a Democrat who was very outspoken and critical. He did it for the moral high ground. This was used as a cudgel and I, it might be subtle, but it was important. If I had a crystal ball and I told you we'd hold impeachments and we would have a trial and vote in the same time span, Andrew Johnson's was three months start to finish, Bill Clinton's was four months and he was removed, you'd agree with it. You would agree with proceeding. I, I, mean, would, I would agree with proceeding. And if, but, I, if I guaranteed you – and, removal. So it's and on the flip side of that, I guarantee you he won't be removed. And then the political calculation becomes: was that effort a net positive for Democrats in 2020 or a net negative? I can't imagine Donald Trump coming out more popular of a failed trial than Bill Clinton. Like you said, the guy can't get his numbers above X but, but because me, he's a disaster. But, but let me do one. <laughs> I mean, let me do one level set here. None of us sitting around this table could imagine Donald Trump being elected president. We are giving voters a, a level of engagement and education on these issues that they don't deserve. And again, I keep coming back to it. If I'm sitting there in um, Ohio and I've, I'm disappointed with the way he's acted, I'm disappointed that the promises weren't kept, but there's this Democrat out there that half a billion dollars were spent attacking on, uh, in ads – and and they go, well, you know, they did take a hard look at this. It smells to high heaven, but the Senate says he's not guilty. That, I think, is a big deal. Yeah, but he's running around now saying Mueller says he's not guilty. But he's saying it, but not the United States Senate saying it. The United States uh, Senate will put their mark on the this The United sign. States Senate doesn't tweet incessantly. He has successfully – Mueller's approval got shellacked over the last two years. He is setting the narrative. He uses these words like exoneration. He's doing what you're already saying. I mean he's already acting like impeachment failed. So why not go for it? All right. So your final question actually is looking with eyes to, to 2020, Philippe. Yep. Uh, and no rebuttals for the uh, final two questions since we are getting close on time. But Philippe, you argue that the 2020 political landscape gives the Democrats an advantage in that 22 Republican senators are up for reelection against just 12 Democrats. You say, quote, a Republican vote to acquit the president could tip at least a few vulnerable Republican seats. But we saw in the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation, it's difficult to predict how divisive Senate votes will play when voters cast their their vote at the ballot. The exit poll evidence suggests that the Kavanaugh vote may have tipped a few vulnerable Republican seats into the win column. With all of the policy and other political issues seemingly in the Democrats' favor, maybe in 2020, isn't impeachment too much of a wild card in what could be a rare opportunity for the Democrats in the Senate? Well, there's like eight great questions in that. In no particular order, one of the most sober things about last year – like I don't know if anyone can tell, but I, I like quantifying things. I like going back to see what the numbers are. And within this saga of the last two years, I've gone back and read a lot of Wikipedia about our 44 presidents and before anyone says, no, it was 45. Grover Cleveland served twice. There were 44 men because it's the most annoying thing on Twitter. Hey, you're 45. It's very rare for the House and Senate to diverge in a midterm, and it did last year, and it did so uh, pretty much in the states that had anyone living more than like 200 miles from a city stayed Trump. For whatever demographic reasons that we're stuck with, it is. The, the best part of your question was the Kavanaugh part. Kavanaugh part was particularly deflating – um, for this reason, for two years, Trump's approval rating, as we've said 100 times, has never gotten above whatever, 40, 45, doesn't matter. But the other 50, 60 percent haven't necessarily been a monolithic block. It's been a little bit of, you know, the wildings and the wild and the people of the north and coming together to beat the, the literally the, the White Walker. And Kavanaugh scared the shit out of me because it was only the second time in Trump's uh, tenure that it reverted to standard 50-50 
deathmatch. The first one being Charlottesville, but that was very different. Kavanaugh, again, was very deflating. And I think it's a great question to talk about whether whether a failed impeachment would trigger another one of these fight to the death that Republicans – and if I were sitting on Joe's side – and I think – you know, it would be interesting is Joe and I could switch seats in terms of making the other argument. We probably could both make the other argument really convincing, which means I win because my only point is that it should be a debate, not a slam dunk. But the point is, is that a failed removal could turn into a, just a, a reasonable Republican saying, this is an attack on me. This is not an attack on Donald Trump. The Democrats are trying to take my guns. They're trying to, you know, kill babies after they're born, you know, like on their fifth birthday. It, 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 it's stuff like that. That is a real risk. Whether that would kick in to our 2020 candidates, I don't know. Again, I think someone like Susan Collins, Cory Gardner, if they're on the fence because of, say, their Kavanaugh votes or other votes, I, I don't think this would help them. I was surprised. I read something in Politico the other day. An analysis that's saying even with the numbers, this tipped um, taking back the Senate will be hard. I think 2020, I don't like putting all the eggs in one basket of one day a year and a half from now. I would like at least two baskets. <laughs> two baskets. All <laughs> two, right. Two bites at the apple. Yep. Okay. Joe, your final question, since we're cutting you off from a rebuttal, which I'm sure is killing you. There is no rebuttal to what I said. <laughs> one, it was so rebuttal. Is he still talking? <laughs> one place where you and Philippe are in complete and total agreement is, is in describing the case against President Clinton as a flawed political prosecution. Hmm. After four years, an independent counsel appointed to investigate an Arkansas land deal in the 1980s had somehow found its way to issues of lying, perjury, and marital infidelity in a civil lawsuit on a completely unrelated matter. The issues and conduct of President Trump described in the Mueller report and that would be investigated by the House are clearly very different. What do you say to the argument that bringing a weak impeachment case around a personal lawsuit is a political liability, but bringing a strong case on issues central to the electoral process would be a political positive, or even that there's a significant political risk in not bringing a strong case? I'm going to agree with Philippe that this is not a slam dunk either way. I think the strongest point that people sitting on Philippe's side of the table make, and, and I'm sympathetic to a lot of it, is a Cory Gardner, Susan Collins having to agonize over that vote. The problem with that is because you need two-thirds, the leadership will let people go based on what they need. So it doesn't tip the balance. So that's not as big a deal as uh, you might seem. I think it all comes back to the Republicans miscalculated in 1998. You know, Newt Gingrich famously said, I'll expand a little bit on it uh, because um, I had the whole conversation replayed back to me a couple of days ago by President Clinton. You know, Erskine said to him, do you think that you're right on the Constitution? To And Newt said, no. He said, well, do you think you're right on the law? And he said, no. And he said, well, do you think morally this is the right thing to do? And Newt said, of course not. And Erskine said, so why are you doing it? And he said, because we can you know, because they could. It was pure political power. And I'd argue that um, they did suffer a lot of damage. Newt Gingrich lost his job. Bob Livingston lost his job. Tom DeLay was, uh, lost his job and was indicted. Uh, the House managers who prosecuted- Well, that had nothing to do with- I had nothing to do with, but I just now wanted to throw it in now, now I'm throwing it in random people. <laughs> but many of the House managers lost, and Lindsey Graham didn't. I mean, he, he, Lindsey Graham is the, the ultimate chameleon who just turns yeah. whatever color he needs to be on that day. People come back at me and have come back at me in the last 24 hours and say, but the but they won the, the White House in 2000. They won the White House in 2000 because George Bush ran against Newt Gingrich. He said, I'm not that kind of Republican. He said, I'm a compassionate conservative. I'm not Newt Gingrich. So that's, it goes back to this whole argument over what is the Republican Party? What George Bush did, and he did very effectively, was pull back the party to the middle. He didn't do it with his policies very much, but he did it as his campaign and say, we can be compassionate conservatives as opposed to Newt Gingrich that then jumped to the Tea Party that jumped to Trumpism. What really kills me about the argument that the Republicans faced a backlash, we are sitting here agonizing over this question because they neutered impeachment forever. 
I, I think that is an unassailable argument. They have basically said you can never impeach again. I mean, what does someone have to do to get impeached other than what Donald Trump has done? I, I just don't know. What are we saving it for? We're going to have this conversation forevermore and we're going to keep coming back to the Republicans went too far in 98. The Republicans persecuting Bill Clinton in 98 has led to a permanent state of the Republicans preventing the American Congress, the American people from properly prosecuting someone who has committed crimes against our country. Let me tell you what the flaw is in his brilliant article or in mine. This isn't about 1998. I don't know that impeachment's been neutered or not. What I care most about is what happens in 2020. And while impeachment would make me feel good, it would make me feel like that's a permanent stain on Donald Trump. I don't know that it takes us any closer to defeating him. I think it might take us a step back. It's just a difference. And we're not going to solve this today. But I also think, you know, there's one other point, which is, you know, a permanent stain. Yeah, you know, it really bothered Bill Clinton that he was impeached. You can't shame Donald Trump. He will. He can't process the fact that he was impeached. You, we don't even get to inflict that pain on him because he's not mentally capable of processing that shame or, or pain. So I think at the end of the day, we agree it's, the, it's you know, it, it, we have the same goal. We have a different method of getting there. Part of the reason we do punish people is as a disincentive. The reason that death penalty doesn't work, capital punishment doesn't work, because it literally doesn't work. People, it's so ineffective, people don't say, uh-oh, I'm not going to go and, kill, commit this felony murder because I might end up in the death. In, and, and if you but the problem to, is, this is, if there is no measure of punishment, we are not dissuading anyone. They and, need to be scared. And, and Why would and, you be scared? And the final word here is, any prosecutor will tell you you don't want to take a case to court, even if, you know, even if you think someone's guilty. If you don't think you can prove it in court, you shouldn't take it because then you leave the impression to everyone that the person who is guilty is innocent. And what about and the victim? A, the victims here have the ability to, at the polls to remedy this. They All have right. a remedy. That is going to have to be the final word. The good news is that there will be a round two on Philippe's podcast, Unredacted, sometime soon. Thank you, Philippe, so much for joining no, us it was and, great. and being here. And, and we enjoyed talking great. about it. Looking forward and to round two. it's clear from your facial expressions, you and Adam totally agree. They're I mean, still I, trying I, to grab the last word I, here, folks. It's still happening. Thanks both. Words matter. Words Matter will be back next week, and we hope you will be too. Thank you for listening to Words Matter. Please rate and review Words Matter on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers.